Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, along with Bishop Peter Smith today as we continue our conversation from Lent to Easter. I was reminded earlier, we have 40 days for Lent and 50 days for Easter. This is 90 days of uh, a really focused first preparation and then a celebration. And so it's a beautiful time for us, I think, to develop habits of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving of really letting Jesus take over in our lives. Welcome back, Bishop Smith. Thanks for being with us today. Good to be with you, Dina Marie, and great to be with you, all those who are listening to us on Mater Dei Radio. Uh, It's good to be back. We ended talking a little bit about Palm Sunday and getting into the Chrismas and giving people who haven't had yet a chance to experience the Chrismas to get a sense of this transition in the church. But once we come for those 40 days of Lent and move into a time of of preparing those final days of Easter, uh, the Holy Tridum, what is this time period? What happens in the liturgy uh, for you as, as priests and as bishops? What things come up in your prayer life? Uh, I know there's a lot of rushing around of, of just uh, for, for just planning all of the details in a parish, but also liturgically, prayerfully, how are you all preparing for this time of Easter? Well, I have to be honest. Uh, once I was ordained, Easter and also Christmas and Pentecost ended up being uh, not quite as prayerful as it used to be because <laughs> of all the other things going on. And you're you're having to organize all the, or at least to some degree, organize all the specifics of what's going to happen, and then you have to pull together homilies for all that. So that's going to happen. I remember in my community before we were ordained on Good Friday, we'd do morning prayer and it'd be a day of silent retreat all the way th- up through to the service of the cross. Now, of course, there's there's a little more that goes on in the middle of it, but it can be a very blessed and sacred time for us if if we're open to it and we are really focusing ourselves on on the Lord and his grace in the middle of this. The Triduum comes towards the end of Holy Week, which begins with the Palm Sunday service. And then in this diocese, usually on Monday of Holy Week, we do the Chrism Mass. In Rome, they do it on, on the morning of Holy Thursday. Here in the United States and in many places, doing the Chrism Mass on the morning of Holy Thursday means that very few people will be there because it's a normal work day. There are some other dioceses I know where they do it in a couple of weeks before because they're so huge and they just have to do it in sort of local regions so that enough people can get there. But for us, we do the, the Chrismas on the Monday of Holy Week normally. And then we start on, on Thursday evening with the Triduum. And the first part, of, and the Triduum is actually one celebration mm-hmm. over three days, uh, so or two and a half days. But it's one celebration with three services, and so you start on Holy Thursday evening with the service of uh, the the sorry the Mass of the Last Supper. So this will be Mass 
that the two differences that you see from a Sunday Mass is the washing of the feet, uh, as Jesus did at the Last Supper in John's Gospel. And then at the end, you have the stripping of the altar mm-hmm. and the procession with the Blessed Sacrament to the altar of repose. And often what will happen is you take the, the Blessed Sacrament to the altar of repose, there will be a time of prayer, and then the, the priest or bishop and others will leave without a final blessing. So in other words, the Mass has not ended. And many parishes will have, from whenever that time is, through to midnight or to 10 o'clock or whatever, as a time of prayer before the Blessed Sacrament at the altar of repose. So that's generally what happens and the, on the Mass of the Last Supper on Holy Thursday. So on Friday, we have the service of the cross, because it's not a Mass. Right. And so that begins with no music. There will be like a, a, a tapping on wood or something. That boom, boom, boom. People stand, and when silence, the, the presider and the others will enter the church, and the priest or bishop and deacon will get to the altar and then they prostrate themselves. And then from there, when they get up, then, then they do the opening prayer, and then we start with the service of the cross. And so the service of the cross begins with the readings, and then we go to, among other things, the, the, uh, the intercessions. We have these ten intercessions. Yeah, they're very long. Yes, they're very long, <laughs> and uh, when you kneel, stand, kneel, stand, kneel, stand, kneel, stand all the way through, um, you, you can, if, you're not, if you're not in shape, you feel it afterwards, and often we have to sing those. Some guys will sing mm-hmm. them all the way through, so you have to get that all, all in shape. So you have that. You have, you have the reading of the Passion, and this time it's John's Gospel, um, and then you have the, the, the intercessions, and then we have the, the, the bringing of the cross forward. And then the cross comes up, and people reverence the cross. They come forward. That is a moment— often um, during the Triduum that can be very moving when you see how people, after listening to the reading of the Passion, come forward to venerate the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are, are perfunctory about it, but others come forward, and it's very clear they have a deep faith just in what you see. And once the, the, uh, the, the re- uh, reverencing of the cross is over, then we go back to the altar of repose and we bring the blessed sacrament forward uh, to the main altar, which is very simply set up, and we have a communion service. Mm-hmm. So there's no Eucharistic prayer, none of that. We have a communion service, and then once that, done, once that is done, uh, and there's, a, there's a, a prayer at the end, then the presider and deacon and others leave in silence. So again, the, the symbolism that, so you, you, there's no formal opening. Like there's the no blessing. The, yeah, and there's no concluding blessing as well. So often what will happen then is the cross will be left in front of the main altar or wherever it is in the church, and people are free to, to remain to pray for a while. So that doesn't conclude. And then mm-hmm. you go to the Easter Vigil, which is uh, long before it became a political slogan, is the mother of all liturgies, <laughs> that <laughs> right. expression. And that it is. If you look in the, the, yeah. the, 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 the rituals, that's very clear. The Easter Vigil is the highest for, uh, level 
of Mass we have in the Church. You go all the way from a simple weekday Mass that is no saint all the way up to the Easter Vigil. And there we begin outside of the Church with the Easter fire lighting the candle. We process into the Church singing the light of Christ. And the symbolism is clear. The Church is dark. Here comes the candle, and it's the light of Christ coming into the world. And then we have numerous readings, mm-hmm. so you, you have to do a minimum of three, and um, there's a maximum of seven, which is salvation history, right. all the way through. And, and then we proceed with uh, Mass uh, as, in, as for the, the Easter Vigil. And after the homily, that's when we will bless the water used for baptisms, mm-hmm. and we welcome into the church by baptizing them and then confirming all those who the catechumens who join the church and confirming the candidates who need to who are joining the church and then at the normal time for communion they come up and receive communion and at the conclusion of that there's a very formal blessing and we conclude the Easter vigil so that's that's the whole sequence of the triduum as we go through it and then on Easter Sunday we will have uh, the normal Easter Sunday masses although it's a Sunday mass mm-hmm. but with Usually in our parish, there's much more music uh, and a lot of a lot more singing and uh, other aspects of the Mass that uh, show the importance of Easter. Right. And we see that Easter candle, Bishop Smith, throughout the whole Easter season. And I think about a wedding or another baptism outside of the Easter season or a funeral where that candle will come up front and center. But if people look carefully, and I really encourage people, if you've never really studied your Easter candle, look at the Easter candle, look and see uh, the the different areas on the cross where the wounds of Christ, uh, the, the different letters and numbers that would be put, just give us, because there's a whole ceremony. And sometimes we can't hear everything because maybe we're way in back of the fire. Uh, but I think the missiles are very helpful to hear. What is the priest saying? What are the prayers as this big Easter candle is being blessed? And yet it remains with us. I think about that blessing continues throughout our reception of sacraments throughout that year. Yes, so we keep the Easter candle lit for every Mass through the Easter season. And then after that, for certain sacraments, we will light the Easter candle. So in baptisms, we have that because we light light the candle from the Easter candle and give it to the the godparents. Or if if it's an older person, we give it to them directly, the candle lit from the Easter candle. And it's meant to symbolize the light of Christ, which has come into the world. This light of Christ has now passed on to the person who's being baptized or to the godparents of the people who are being baptized uh, as a sign, a visible sign of, uh, of what's happening here with the life of Christ uh, being given to these people. It's an interesting moment in baptisms. Often when I have kids squawking or whatever during baptisms, particularly if they're little boys, that's interesting. <laughs> when you light that candle, suddenly there's this fascination of what's going on. That usually stops. Not not trying to say all little boys are pyromaniacs or anything <laughs> like that, but it's just interesting to watch that. But that, that's the symbolism. And at funerals as well, we light the, that Easter candle and we have it burning because the funeral mass is actually tied very closely to baptism. You know, So the casket is covered with a pall, and the pall is meant to remind us of our white garment and the challenge mm-hmm. that's given to us when at baptism 
bring this unstained into the kingdom of God. So you cover the casket with that pall. You have the, the Easter candle burning as a reminding of the light of Christ. And as we were born in Christ, so now we have ended this life in Christ and we go forward to meet Christ in the next. There's a lot of symbolism in all of this and, and how we continue that through the church year. But the Easter season is meant to be a time of great celebration, and it comes about from the early church because Jesus rose and appeared to them, then he ascended to heaven, and then on Pentecost, the 50th day after that, uh, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and disciples. Right. Unfortunately, in most, almost, except for a few northeastern dioceses, we no longer celebrate the Ascension on Thursday. When I was growing up in South Africa, Ascension Thursday was a public holiday. So was Good Friday. Um, I don't think it's that way today, but that's what we grew up with. So now we celebrate the Ascension on the Sunday before Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Well, and Bishop Smith, as you look back, family traditions, and then as you became an adult, kind of your own traditions and, and wherever you might have been in a parish community, and then seminary life, you know, are there highlights of just ways in which you have experienced Lent and then Holy Week, uh, good memories that you have of just that whole experience for you? Well, probably that the uh, most difficult Lent I ever experienced, difficult, was when I was uh, doing my military service the first year because there was no time to even think about Lent with all the other stuff that they were throwing at us. So it wasn't much of a Lent except it reminds me of what Basil the Great wrote in one of his Rules of Life. A monk's life is a continual Lent. Mm-hmm. So I would have fun reminding the Benedictines of Mount Angel of this. Of course, they would give it straight back, talking about how Benedict was the father of Western monasticism. Moderation was a great virtue for Benedict which I'm sure they and all the rest of us are very glad about. But generally in, in Lent growing up, it, uh, I remember Holy Week, we were altar servers, all the boys in my family. And so Holy Week was wall-to-wall church services. Uh, just we were constantly on the go. We were one of those families that they could always count on us being at the parish to do all these things. So there was just, just a lot of... Uh, a lot of activity during Holy Week. But my parents are very good about it during Lent. We all had to give something up for Lent. Here you have rice bowls. We would have like a Campbell's soup tin <laughs> or can with a slot cut on the top. And they were known as mite boxes because mm-hmm. of the widow's mite. But in the church, they would put up these posters in the church and it would be the agonized face of Christ on the cross. And it was usually purple on a black background, and it wasn't detailed. It was just certain parts of the face of Christ which conveyed the, the image of Christ crowned with thorns dying on the cross, and I always remember that. And they had sacrificium, the Latin word, uh, either above or below it, to remind us because this is what Christ did for us. And I see this practice now coming back is that during Holy Week, all the, these, these statues of Christ would be covered with the purple, right. uh, the purple cloth, um, just as a, as a reminder of what was going on. Right. 
What are some suggestions you would have, Bishop Smith, as people are preparing for Holy Week, uh, whether you've got a family with a bunch of kids like your family was, or husband and wife, singles, but just how could we try to change our schedule for that week? What are things that can help us to really take part, maybe more participation, maybe more focus on the richness that could come, the graces that could come from that Holy Week? Well, I know most of our parishes and the cathedral does this. On Holy Thursday and Good Friday, the services are now in the evening. So, And then the Easter Vigil, the service is meant to start uh, after sunset. So normally the Easter Vigil should be starting, depending on when, what time of the year it is, it starts around 8 or 8.30, somewhere there. Uh, I'm used to 3 o'clock on Friday, the service of the cross, or 1 o'clock on Friday. You start at 1, and then at the end, you, you conclude at about 3 o'clock on Friday. Um, that's what I remember as a boy. There were those two options. But parishes have adjusted the times of the service so that people are free to be able to attend. That's one thing to think about is to clear your schedule and make an effort to attend those particular services where you can. Another thing is to read along. Um, most of our parishes are still live streaming, not all. But if these are live streamed and you aren't able to be there, to at least watch that and go along with it and read the particular elements of the passion, the readings that are involved. And there are other ways that you can do it. I remember one year, I forget why, but we were traveling. My family was. And we were unable to go to the Good Friday service. So my parents gathered all of us as kids, and they did a formal reading of the the crucifixion of Jesus, and then we prayed the entire rosary. And that was their way of trying to make clear to us and set a, make, make the statement that this is a sacred day, uh, Good Friday, and this is when Jesus died for us. So there are all kinds of things like that. Another thing I would suggest for people is, and this is what the church asks, we should try and go to, to confession, uh, particularly during the, Easter, during the Lent up to Easter. This is a time where it's, it's good for us at the very least to go to confession and deal with issues in our lives. And most of our parishes during Easter have additional times for the sacrament of, con- of reconciliation and confessions. Uh, and there will be uh, private ones and then also a formal service for um, like, an, like a Lenten reconciliation service. And parishes work together, ones that are close together, and they'll publish each other's schedules for people to go. I have noticed that the number of people going has declined to those services, but then I find out that they're they're running extra hours of confession during Lent for people who wish to attend them, and and the number of people going to those has gone up. Right. So we try to make, the pastors are trying to make the sacrament uh, more freely available to people. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time, Bishop Smith, talking about uh, our prayer, fasting, and almsgiving during Lent, this this time for us to conform to Christ. And when we enter the Easter season, maybe I don't hear as much about, well, how do I continue to, to live those virtues? Or if I'm trying to develop a discipline, how does that continue? But how are we to keep 
keep going. I think last week you mentioned, you know, many times, and I've seen this because I'm, I was an RCIA candidate. I came into the Catholic Church, but I saw people who were with me that I don't see in church anymore, that people have fallen off. How can I keep, maybe during this time of Easter, to keep working, to keep really embracing those graces and to work to enrich my life? That is a challenge because it's like the athlete who trains so hard for the Olympic final and then you've been in the Olympic final and it's over and then you just sit back and chill and then you get out of shape and then you can't run the race. So the, the challenge is that what you have begun to develop during this time of uh, the RCA and particularly through Lent, you continue after Easter. And that means making some choices to do some things in our lives and to continue those disciplines that we had, whatever they may be. So that would be an encouragement to choose at least one of those disciplines that you put into your life in preparation for joining the church and to continue them after Easter and reception into the church. And particularly things that I would say are prayerful because if we sustain our life of prayer, which is our personal relationship with God, then all else follows from that. So one thing, just off the top of my head, uh, take the surrender novena and start praying that. And you don't just have to do it once. I know people who pray through the nine days and just go back to day one. You know, and, and the surrender novena is essentially disposing oneself, making oneself, of, making ourselves available to Jesus. As Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Please take care of everything. So what that does is it, it disposes our heart and mind in a particular way. And when we're open to the Lord, then God, it's easier for God to work in our lives. And look at St. Paul on the road to Damascus. You know, we think he, got some, he had this encounter with the Lord, but he must have, because we have free will, radical free will, he must have in some way opened the door of his heart, mind, and life to the Lord, and so the Lord responded, in his case, very dramatically. But there's a sense in which things that we may have picked up or other forms of prayer, other forms of discipline that we have, those are the kinds of things that, that might be worth doing. So if a couple joins the church through the RCA, they've reflected on the Sunday readings before they've got to Mass. Maybe that's something you can continue. So you, you start doing those kinds of things and putting the basic things of a life of faith into place in your life and hang on to those. Because if you don't, what will happen is all this work to get to this point, but then you don't do, do the maintenance. And it's not just the maintenance, but you don't, you don't do the maintenance and improvements uh, that need to happen, not just to maintain what's there, but to begin to really thrive in a life of faith. Right, right. You know, and it can be, these days there are so many resources available. Mm-hmm. You know, get daily scriptures delivered to you. You can get daily homilies delivered to you. You can get daily ways to pray. And there's all these apps out there that mm-hmm. are doing it. So there's a lot of stuff that's there that can really help. Another thing to do, I would say, is you can pick up some texts that are simple and easy to read that help help us grow in our understanding of what the... the, the uh, Catholic faith is. So one of the texts when I was a pastor that I used was would be 
the uh, Catholicism for Dummies. And it was actually remarkably well written when I read it. It was like, there were some things that weren't perfect, but uh, it's a very simple bite size. It's like a USA Today style mm-hmm. of, over there. Another one is the Catholic source book. And so this, it's, these are gold mines of information about the church and, and growing in our understanding of the church. So things like that where we can, can learn and uh, grow in our understanding, our knowledge of the church, we grow in our prayer, and finally just opportunities to serve, get involved. There are opportunities to serve in our parishes, and those are ways to get involved. And then we're rubbing shoulders with other people of faith and other Catholics, and that can all help sustain what was begun at the Easter Vigil. Right. And to be like those early Christians that would come together in small groups. Again, Mm -hmm. we talked about that before, the importance of coming together, prayer groups, developing those relationships to further the faith, and then to ignite you to serve one another in the faith. So we'll continue to prepare for the Easter season where we can say, Alleluia, Alleluia, it's coming. And with that, Bishop Smith, would you help us close with a, a prayer and a blessing? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, may the special blessings that you impart for Holy Week come upon us as we prepare for Holy Week and we prepare for the holy celebration of Easter. Lord, may all the grace and power and goodness that comes into our world through your Son, Jesus Christ, begin to more and more be present in our lives and make us witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus for those around us. May Almighty God bless us all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Voice of the Shepherd. For Bishop Peter Smith, I'm Dina Marie Hale, and until our next encounter, may you have a blessed Holy Week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.